0: Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. To learn more about our church community and how you can be a part, visit us online at therivercitychurch.org. All right, well, good morning as you make your way back to grab your seat. Uh, so glad you guys are here this morning. Who is ready for our fourth week of relationship status? All right, we've been talking about some big topics of love sex romance dating marriage and you guys keep coming back that's awesome we haven't scared you guys away so uh been some really really big topics but um, before hey before we jump into uh the topic for today i want to ask you guys a question uh how many of you get, how many coffee drinkers do we have in the house today come on i know we got we go through a lot of coffee here i know that you guys have got a lot of coffee drinkers in the house so uh how many of you are dunkin donut coffee fans Alright, we got some Dunkin' Donuts. How many prefer the other preference? Starbucks? All right. Wow. Just, just, to, okay. So, all right. So uh, I, I am a, a Starbucks fan. This is one I drink. Uh, Heather, who works at the church here, she is a Dunkin' Donuts fan. So it works out really well is when I get a gift card from Dunkin' Donuts, I give it to her. When she gets a gift card to Starbucks, she gives it to me and we, we trade off. She has no idea even how to order coffee at Starbucks, but that's all right. And we, so we, we have different, we have different views and different opinions. In fact, she uses this computer called a PC I don't even know what that is. I'm more of the Apple guy. She uses a phone called an Android, and we're always trying to convince each other that the other person's option is better and our preference is better. And I say all of that to say, like, hey, split. So we have difference of opinions, but we still work together well. And we still, we still, we still put that. We still always trying to convince each other of that, but we we work together well. And today, I'm going to hit on some topics that some people are going to have some very different opinions on. And we're not trying to shut down your opinions, but I just want to share from what I view from God's word, and uh, and and as I've even tr- as for preparation for this, I even spent a lot of time even listening and reading stuff of people that have different opinions than I do. And so, with that said, I want to uh, jump into our, our series. We, we've started in this passage, and we keep on coming back to it in First Corinthians chapter six. Verse 9 through 11, as I read through it, and you go, hmm, I wonder what, they keep on talking about the sermon, what we're praying about today. Let's see if we can pick it out, what we're talking about today. So it says this, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or worship idols, or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the great news. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So today's message is called, We Have Made It Complicated. We have made it complicated. Do you want to write that down in your notes if you got those on your way in? So we have, you know, there's on that status line. You, you can say, what is your status? It's complicated. A lot of people say, well, well we have made some things talk complicated. And I want to talk about something. We've read this passage almost every week of this, these last four weeks, uh, and there's something that's kind of stood out to you. Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you've not. And it's that line that right there that says, those that practice homosexuality. And so I want to talk today about a very, tough topic to talk about in our current culture and and church and where those come together and there's this these asking these questions about same-sex attraction and gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender and the, the the abbreviation of lgbtq just keeps on growing longer each week and um so go, why, why are we talking about this in church, Damien? Things are going well. Why, why do we want to bring this up, right? This is not a way to grow a church, Damien. Don't you know? I brought my friend here. I brought a family member here today and you're going to talk about this. You know, it's, uh, I have not been like super excited to preach about this. Um, but I've sensed it for quite a while that I'm supposed to preach about it. And it keeps on coming back to me, keeps on coming back to me over and over of just what I'm seeing uh, and hearing. And even just a few weeks ago, I was uh, in a Starbucks, because that's where I drink coffee at. I was in a Starbucks drinking coffee, and uh, I'm sitting there working on a message. I got my computer, my Bible out, and then right beside me at a table is probably a guy that's uh, either a, a junior in high school or a senior in high school, and he's meeting with this, uh, this grown woman and uh, talking to her about his sexuality and how he's struggling with it and he he senses this same sex attraction and I'm sitting and I'm trying to write my sermon, but I'm hearing this conversation going on right behind me. And I, and I'm hearing this adult woman that he's coming to for advice advising him that he needs to go down to Boys Town and meet people and hang out with them and engage in this and discover who he is. He needs to lean into this. And he even was a little bit like, whoa, I don't know, that's a little much for me. I'm, I'm not too sure if I want to go all the way there yet. That's kind of, maybe I would start with just someone that's bisexual. That would be a better place to start. So I'm hearing he is confused. He is wondering, and here is an adult discipling them. And so I'm saying this to the church. We have young people, and we have your kids, and we have other young kids that come here. And if we do not disciple them, the world is happy to disciple them. And so we get to step up and disciple. Same thing uh, just even last week. Someone that's part of our church is is uh, at a local community college here and went to, first time going to a local campus Bible study. They go to the Bible study for the first time. And they go there and they're there for the first time. And somebody else comes for the first time. And they sit down next to them and they say, hey, I'm I'm feeling like I have same-sex attraction. What does God's word say about that? And so there's this wondering, there's these questions that are being asked by young people. And then even this morning, I heard from someone that said that their that their kids just went to a funeral this weekend for a young man that took his life because he struggled with this same-sex attraction and struggled with it to the point that he became suicidal from it. So this is a topic that needs to be addressed and needs to be talked about and it's a topic that we have a hard time talking about sometimes because it feels a conflict between love and compassion and feelings for someone and it's a perceived conflict that seems to be at odds with faith in jesus and the word of god it's a perceived conflict and so i come to this subject today with prayerful humble heart Been people have been praying for me. I've been very humble, like looking at this, and because I know if if we don't address this subject correctly, we can cause more pain than the healing that God's Word wants to bring. And so we want to handle this with grace, because times have changed drastically. There was a time not long ago when I was sitting in the seats of a a church attender, and I'd hear the preachers get up and talk about this subject, and it would would use words like those people, as though they were there, they were in another community, there were people that were far off. And today, when we talk about this topic, it's no longer those people, it's people that are possibly here in this room it's people that are listening online it is your friends it is your family members it is it's a face that comes to mind when we talk about these it is it is your brother it is your sister it is your child it's your uncle aunt. you know someone your neighbor someone that you love and care for it's no longer those far away it's people that are in your life so again as i approach this subject i ask that you would have grace we share these things and we would have this, this, and, and hearing my heart today as I have really tried to spend a lot of time the best I can of understanding this topic. And so speaking in the context of grace, uh, I wanna speak as just kind of setting this up, speak to a few different people in the room and how we, we might be hearing this. And the first group is, is that group of people that if you're honest right now, even if you, you, you missed the newsletter, you missed that, oh my gosh, I did not know we were talking about this. And if you're, if you're honest, you're saying, uh, I can't even consider this right now. Like, possibly your relationship with Jesus is, is so new, so fresh, or your, your understanding of the Word of God, it, it's so fresh. It's maybe even unsettled. You're not at a place that it's settled. And if you hear this, you, you really sense that it would put, cause you to not lean in but pull away. And if that's you, I I want you to hear that, I am grateful, I am happy you are here, what we say all the time, leading people from where they are to where God wants to be, all different places of the journey. But if this topic is too too big, if it's going to cause you to pull away from Jesus, I want you to remember, first off, that sexual ethics are not the center of Christianity. C.S. Lewis said it so beautifully in Mere Christianity. He's opening up this chapter about sexual ethics, and he says this on the screen. He says, Does the biblical teaching on sexuality bother you? Will then punt it for a while, because the center of Christianity is not sexual ethics, but the cross and lordship of Jesus are. That is the center of it. And so I just want to say, if you need to punt this for a while, in a moment I'm going to pray one more time for a message, and if you need to punt this for a while, there is no judge. If you you can just slip out the back and go, you know what? And I would take that as you're not you're not shutting down the conversation. You're just saying we'll have the conversation another day. Because I'm more, I'm more interested in you knowing who Jesus is first and not letting these become a stumbling block for you. Alright? There's another group of people that you, you believe this is wrong, but you believe it is wrong for the wrong reasons. Or you don't even know why you believe it is wrong. And, and your, your, your position is more characterized by bigotry and intolerance than it is the compassion Christian conviction. And I want you to be challenged today to view this, to rethink this in terms of the gospel. So that's another group of us. There's another group that your mind is made up already coming in here today, and it doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what scriptures I read from. You, you've already made up that mind, your mind, and I don't know what that is of what's led you there. Maybe it is someone that you love and care for that that is walking through this. Maybe it is, is yourself. And today, I just want to challenge you as you sit here and listen to this that. You'd be open to just hearing what God's word wants to say and and open to hearing a different opinion than yours. I think that's for all of us, to open and hear from a different opinion. And then there's one more group that would say, I don't want to talk about this because the truth is you don't want to make a decision. It's more convenient not to have a stance, you think. For yourself on this situation, maybe you feel caught between the friend, a friend, and the Bible. Maybe you feel between caught between someone that you love and care for and your faith, and 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 you'd rather avoid it. And I would just say that sometimes that's actually doing more harm to this person because you're this this issue that's so important to them. You're sending a message that you're not going to even spend time to figure out what you believe on it and stand on it. So. I'm going to pray one more time, and we're going to dive into this. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the many prayers that have gone into this, Lord. I thank you for the songs that we sang today, Lord, that you make us brave. Lord, that your your spirit is here, Lord, as we dive into these subjects, Lord, that culturally are very difficult for us. So, God, one more time, we ask for your grace in this room people of all different views and different perspectives, Lord, that we would hear what you have to say more than what Damien has to say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So kind of my goal for today is to answer these four questions. Um, is how has the church responded? Is it wrong? And if so, why? What do I do if this is me? And how do I love my LGBTQ friend? Alright, so that, that's uh, that's uh, that's a lot. You're like, dang, you gave me an out during the prayer because this is going to be a really long sermon. Just going to head you guys up. Like, you're like you should have got up a few minutes ago and left. Um, but now you're here. Now they've locked the doors. You can't go. Um, and so, <laughs> this is, there's a lot to cover here. And so first, I, I want to start with a little bit of, of understanding of of the history of church and the history of this, this movement and, and some things that we maybe got wrong on this. And, um... Because the fact is, this 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 topic, like, came on really quick, really, really fast, and unfortunately the church was unprepared for it. It didn't know how to approach this topic, so we made some pretty big mistakes. So, historically, I want to show first off is that on uh, December 21st, 1996, the year I graduated from high school, President uh, Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act. Okay, I just want to like step back and like see like this is not just the church that has changed views and struggled with this. Bill Clinton signed the, 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 what that is, that was the federal defining of marriage as a union between one man and one woman. And it allowed the, the allowed the states to refuse a recognized same-sex marriage that was granted illegally in another state. So if a, a couple got married that were same-sex in one state and they moved to another place, this state could refuse to accept it. That's what this, this DOMA was signed and put into act there. Alright, so that's 1996. Then, like, it moved so quickly that then Barack Obama, when he's in office, he, he issued the bathroom bill in 20, 2016. Which, which, like, there was this, like, from the, the White House was directing schools to allow students to use restrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identities. And clinging to federal laws to protect those, those, those students from gender discrimination. So then that was, next year was Trump came in and he receded those Obama rules on the transgender student bathroom usage. So you see that this has been growing and it's going back and forth and there's a lot of conflict between us and so I share that not just to say, it's not just the church thing, it's, it's our nation, it's our culture that this is moving so fast. Again, just a few more numbers here. In 2003, Pew Research did, a, did, a, did a, uh, a research project on this, and they said 58% of Americans in 2003 opposed uh, same-sex marriage. All right, and just 33% were in favor. 9% undecided. 2013, they did the same, the same uh, statistic check there, and so 49% now supporting same-sex marriage, and 44 opposing it. Now down to 7% undecided. The newest research shows that they just, they just pulled millennials. Those people born between, uh, that between, uh, since 1980, they're about 18 to 32 years old, that 70% of millennials view favor of same-sex marriage and and views of this whole entire topic that we're talking about today. There's many reasons that I could jump into culture. That would be a whole nother hour there of talking about the influence of the culture that they've been, what they've been exposed to, and how it's changed mindsets of this current generation, but also this current generation of how they view truth. And, and I'm right on the cusp of that of, a, of viewing truth as relative, is like you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and we won't hurt anybody, and 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 I, and this idea of I am my own authority is a really a big change that has happened. And this is where we, we, as we're going to see as we come into the Word of God, is that I am no longer my authority, but I come under the authority by my choice, under the authority of Jesus Christ. So, all right, so through all of these quick-changing things that are happening in our culture, um, and, and people are feeling like people start to view the church as we fall into two different categories, as the world views us, the church, on this topic we are either uh, uh, affirming or alienation and and for 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 much of the church's first response it was one of alienation like we kind of pushed back and we made big mistakes because of because of fear because of lack of understanding because of even lack of compassion and 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 we made it this big sin and and many people that struggled with it and when they opened up with it they're like oh let us just pray the gay away and let us send you to gay camp and and and, and just or don't come back here until you fixed yourself or until you've learned to hide this and so that that was the first response and uh, of the, these, of like the alienation it was like pushing them away, and one other thing that I think the church just kind of got mixed up and confused along the way is, again, we live under the lordship and kingship kingdom of Jesus Christ, and so we have an authority over us and a, and a moral compass that comes from the Word of God. And so often we mix and blur the lines that we want to call people that don't live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ to live like they're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That makes sense. We want to kind of we want to tell people that are not Christians to live as Christians. And so we, we, we make these mistakes and it gets very confusing in the political world that even what we're facing now. So we fell into two groups of either affirmation or alienation. And so, you know, we're either viewed as Westboro Baptist Church. You know, they're holding our signs and and picketing and being hateful. Or the other ones of like God still speaks and and full affirmation. And I look at those two and I go, do I have to pick? Like I don't fit in either one of those, okay? Like what what does that look like for for me? And so I want to present a third option. A third option is what Jesus is. All right? Because Jesus is awesome. Jesus is the best. He's amazing. If you don't know him, you should know him. He changes everything. Jesus is this, is this incredible guy. This, he has a ministry that is a paradox to how we kind of view ministry a lot of times. I mean, Jesus was sinless. He was the only one to hold up to the God's, God's righteous standards. He held up to them. It says that he exceeded that of the Pharisees. Time. So he was like, he was holding all of this. Yet at the same time, there was never anyone in history that was so wholly set apart and, and did not sin, that yet drew people to him that were broken in every aspect of their life. For those that were prostitutes, tax collectors, which were big time betrayers uh, in that time, adulterers, those with broken marriage, those people loved to be around Jesus. They were drawn to be around Jesus, and so so the the, the point is like well, let's look at what Jesus would do because some of the, the church in our response to this culture that changed so quickly is is in the effort of pointing out that this is wrong and what culture is saying is wrong. We made this somehow this uber sin the biggest sin possible, and instead of seeing it as a sin. And so, let me, let me, that leads me into my next thing, the next point of, and th- these points are going to be all mixed up, they're all in there somewhere, you're going to walk away with those, those things answered, but <laughs> it, is, it, is it wrong, and if so, why? Well, there, there is, there's six passages in the Bible, in the scripture, that, direct, that talk directly about that, and you go, man, in comparison to all the verses in here, that's not very many, like that just six god that's all you gave us to address this and you may think that's not very many but we need to understand the context of the bible and how it was written and like what the story the bible is telling and that the story the bible is telling is exactly the, this artwork that we have here it is creation, the way that God intended things to be. And then the fall happens when we chose our way over God's way. We chose rebellion against God. But God said, hey, I'm going to redeem the world and I'm going to bring redemption through Jesus Christ to bring about restoration, to return things to the way that he first intended them to be. So that is what, that's the story that is unfolding from the Bible. And so we see that there's a lot of things in the Bible that are the result of the fall. So we have to go back to how did God originally intend them to be? Because that's what he's doing, is he's restoring and bringing them back to how they were first intended to be. And we've read this verse many times during this series, many times in my preaching. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is pre-fall. This is before sin and rebellion enters. He says this, the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Become one flesh. There it is in creation, how God intended it to be. Man and woman coming together as one flesh. And so some people will even argue and say, well, no, the Bible gives multiple views of marriage. And we see all these displays. The Bible shows a lot of terrible stuff. It doesn't mean we're supposed to do that stuff, right? Okay, like, I mean, right away, the the fall happens in Genesis chapter 3. You get to Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. We read about Lamech, who takes two wives. Polygamy is already started by the fourth chapter, okay? And that is not like saying, oh, this is what God intended. No, the Bible is showing us this is the result of the hardening of sin and rebellion against God. That we are making up new ways to sin. That that was not God's intent. It was our our <laughs> and other social evils are like what we are creating. That was not what God gave as marriage. Alright, and then we go, and other people argue like, well Jesus never spoke about it. Jesus never spoke about it. Well, um, Jesus did affirm that creation story that we just talked about there. We've talked about that in the previous weeks here. That he affirmed that in Matt, in Mark chapter 10 verse 6. He picks that up. You want to write that down. And so about the man and woman coming together. Jesus affirmed the Mosaic law that showed that, that declared that sexual, sexual acts would be permissible between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage. So Jesus uplifted that. And we go, well, how come Jesus just didn't come out and say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and this is the list? Because he knows us. He knows that in our fallen world, Scripture tells us that we invent new ways of being evil. Okay? And so he knows that if he made a list, we're going to find a loophole. We're going to find a roundabout way to fill in those blanks. So instead of saying, well, the ways that you, there's two ways to declare truth. There's two ways to declare what is right and what is wrong. And, and you can list every variable possibility of the wrong, or you can simply affirm what is the right. Okay, you and I go to the parking lot after church, and you go, Damien, which car is yours? I have two ways I can answer that question. That car's not mine. 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 Or I can simply say that car is mine. We get to we we, we get to the same answer in the end. But what's just a lot easier just saying that car's mine. right? So that, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, this is what it is. All right? The epistles, we read from Paul and Peter, and James and John, they wrote in, on the other side of the gospel there, and especially in Corinthians like, like First Corinthians chapter six, whenever it is talked about in this, it is explicitly in a negative term. it's never seen in a positive light. We, and many argue and say, well, Paul doesn't have a view of committed same-sex relationship that we have today because that didn't exist back then. And he was, you know, a lot of argument, again, of like, if he was talking about male prostitution and, 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 and man-boy sex and, and all of this kind of stuff. And same-sex relationships were not the same as they are today. That is a big argument that is out there. But, again, outside of Christian teaching, outside of Christian theology is, I meant to have a slide up there for this, but historian uh, Thomas Hubbard, who actually teaches at uh, uh, Baylor University, um, not a Christian, wrote a definitive work on homosexuality in the ancient world. Homosexuality in Greece and Rome. And he shows that homosexuality did... Outside of the Bible, did exist in a wide variety of forms in Greek and Roman world, including same-sex partners, and they always referred to them in the same words that Paul used there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Malakoi and arsen arsenokolatai are those Greek words the same ones that were used in this man's writing. That the bottom line is, to say that Paul was not addressing these things that we are talking about today, from my perspective, from my study, is to be, is to, to do a, a not a very thoughtful, intentional interpretation of scripture. Again, my perspective of what I see there. Alright. So to me, there's no doubt that Paul had exactly in mind what he was talking about. Sin has been around for a while. Things have been around for a while. So let's look at one more, uh, and understanding this in, in this, in the light of creation and all of this and the fallen world. Romans chapter 1 kicks it off and right there in verse 26 and, in Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the human's race, a rejection of God's authority and what happens when we reject the, the creator's design, the creator's authority and the, as the result of the fall. He says this, picking up in verse 26, says, Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the penalty due for their error. So many scholars would agree that what Paul is saying here is that the same sex activity, the same same sex activity and drawing to each other is an outward action of an inward posture of sin. It's a rejection of the Creator's design. It's a rejection of God's authority in our life that that's what this is resulting and so he's saying, it's the same thing as that every single one of us go through, the same thing that Eve went through in the Garden of Eden, is that we, are, we have to decide, each one of us individually, who gets to declare what is good? Who gets to declare what is right? Who is Lord of my life? Am, am, is, are my desires and what I want, and am I Lord of my life? Or is God Lord of my life? Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. Is he Lord of my life? And does his word help me declare what is good and right? See, homosexuality is not the core of our rebellion against God. It's not the core of our rebellion against God. The desire to be God. It's the core of our rebellion against God. It's a desire for us to declare what is good and what is evil. It's that we want to play judge instead of be judged. It's a desire to use God's creation for my own gratification. This falls for all of us in every area of our life, and especially in these sexual, sexual areas of sexual moral, of using God's creation for my own gratification rather than to be pleasing for His glory and His purposes. As Paul goes on and says in Romans says it is it, it, he says, it is unnatural. It's unnatural. And yet today, and I say this with a heart of compassion, so many people say, "But it feels natural to me." And I know that you maybe walk with friends, and you might even be one that like, "Man, this feels natural to me." But if we back up and see what Paul is saying, he's saying that's exactly it. That is the core of what Paul is saying. Just because something feels natural doesn't make it right. We are falling. We are living in a fallen world. We have our things. we, We have lived in rejection, rebellion against God. So we don't just follow our instincts. You know? Yeah, that, that, that thing of following your... I mean, if you just follow your instincts. Listen to this guy, he said he was in his exercise class, one of those spin classes, and teachers, like, go on, and they're pedaling the pedal, and he's like, go for it, and then she starts, like, cheering him on, and he's like, just follow your instincts. And he's like, no. That's how people end up in jail. That's how bad things happen. If we just follow our instincts, like, no, there's some, there's some things that are instinctively inside of me that are not good, right? Like, if I, if I, if, if I mean, my, my, my kids, it's natural instinct when they're mad at each other to hit each other, to yell at each other. I don't. I, that, that's not right. That's that, But they're they're drawn to that just because it be, I feel like hitting my brother doesn't mean it's right, right? Or just because I, what if I come home and say, Nancy, like, man, I just naturally I'm attracted to other women. I just am, and so I, to be genuine to me, can can I go date some other women? Because I naturally, I, I have this feeling inside of me. She would whack me aside the head with a two by four, and probably walk outside the door and say, well, "Yeah, we'll get rid of those feelings, right?" Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm not saying that those are in the same the same exact category, but to simply say that our sexual desires are not a safeguard for what is right. I'll say that again. Our sexual desires are not a safeguard for what is right. Because according to Romans chapter 1, something has gone wrong. Right? Your sexual desires, gay or straight, on their own, will lead outside of God's will every single time. Your desires, your sexual desires, gay or straight, on their own, will lead outside of God's will every single time. So I say that, but I want to follow up with this. We are wrong when we assume it's hard for an LGBT person to get to heaven. We are wrong when we think that. Tim Keller said it this way, he said, homosexuality doesn't send you to hell. He said, I know that because being heterosexual doesn't send you to heaven. Right? Right? Listen. We have made a big thing of it. What sends you to hell is refusing to allow Jesus to be the Lord and center of your life. It's it, 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 it's it's regardless of how it manifests itself in your life of your love of yourself and choosing your will and and and, and saying I don't need a, a savior I don't need someone to forgive my sin refusal to obey him in the area of your money refusal to obey in the area of control of your anger of your or your self righteousness and your pride and your greed all of this stuff whatever that rebellion looks like no matter what wherever it exists this is So, if the Bible says it so clearly, why do Christian leaders disagree on this issue? It's true. Uh, We see that a lot today, is that the Methodist Church is splitting over this topic. The Lutherans are having a lot of conversation about this, even just two weeks ago, um, a, a church that kind of like in our stream that we kind of run with and stuff, Uh, two friends that were on staff there, and their leadership just came out and said that they're going to be fully affirming, performing marriages, Uh, people that live this lifestyle can be pastors, and it just was a big, big turnover for like a a spirit-filled church to, to, to do this, and they ended up leaving the network that we're in, and two of my friends that were on staff resigned as this news was coming out, so it is a lot of different people have different views on this, but I would say that you can always find dissonant voices in every generation on every issue. but yet I also see what gives me hope in the church today is the is the top 100 largest churches in America hold the view that homosexuality is a sin? You know sometimes we can think it's all changing up. No. The the ones that are, that are having this great influence are are, are holding to that fact. And the thing is that, but what, what about the church worldwide? So often we just look at America, but church worldwide, the witness of Christ around, they're not even having these conversations in a lot of other countries. For two thousand years, Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, has understood this to be clear. To be honest, it's a handful of 21st century Western Christians who say that God has not spoken clearly on this issue. It's the first generation in history to say, hey, we figured this out, that this wasn't really what this meant. My opinion is more likely God has spoken clearly about this. We just don't like what he said. Because Jesus' words are offending. The Bible is offensive. If you're not being offended by what you hear and read, I don't know if you're listening. Because every generation has to choose whether we are going to have our allegiance with culture or with our Savior, with Lord Jesus Christ. Are we going to go with what is shifting in culture all the time? Are we going to stand upon the Word of God and what He has said? Because culture is passing away, but Jesus is forever. Right? Even America might might even pass away one day. But Jesus and his kingdom are forever. So, why do we need to be clear on this? Why spend an entire message, Damien, on speaking on this? Why not just let people assume where we stand on this? And I did wrestle with this for quite a while. And, and knowing when to speak and and how to speak about it, and and talk to a few different friends here in the church and pastor friends, a few pastor friends said, "Wow, dang, Damon, you're braver than I am," because there's something about it. There's something with it that brings an intimidation and a fear. But then I came to what Paul is saying in Acts chapter two, verse twenty-four, it says farewell to the elders in Ephesus. He says this, and now I know that none of you of whom I have preached the kingdom of God will ever see again. So he said, I'm going to die before I see you guys again. I'm not going to see you. I preached to you, but I'm not going to see you again. He said, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I want to be able to say that. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I did not shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourself and God's people. This is is what he's calling the elders to do. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. And who's his church? Purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as a leader. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out! Remember, the three years I was with you, my constant watching care over you night and day, and my many tears. It's like, oh, I want that, that, that heart that Paul has there. And so, you know, this discussion and this topic, why, why it has been such a tipping point for the church, why is there continued blogs and videos and, and all this stuff about this topic, and why is the church splitting over this one thing? And because again, as I've talked to people about it, and like, as we would say, like it is a it is a sexual sin, and 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 God forgives sexual sin and it's okay, and you know, it's it's not any different than me being lustful and all of this stuff. But what I'm seeing underneath the surface and why this is such a point for the church is that there is a voice of people. There's a voice rising up in this culture that is trying to erase sin. That what the Bible calls sin, people are saying, no, that's not sin. That's a scary place of what God says is wrong. And if we do not, we want to make what God says easier. So listen, as we all sin, I sin, I, I have sinned. And I believe in Jesus and I come to repent to him. And I say, God, I, I have what? I didn't say I messed up. I did a little wrong. I say, I have sinned. I own the sin that I have. And so, and also in a lot of times an effort to care, to minister and heart of compassion and loving those that are entangled in this and are walking through this in our compassionate heart, we want to say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. And we want to downplay what it is. But back to 1 Corinthians 6, it says, for those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people. We won't. We're keeping them from inheriting the kingdom of God. We're keeping them from all that God has from them for them. But what I see here is that as a Christian, my identity goes from sinner to saint. It goes from a slave of sin to a child of God. And so I, I'm no longer identified by those things that once identified me. Those things that once had a hold on me. Those things that are controlled. And like, but yet there's this this phrase. I'm going to go there. The people say, I'm a gay Christian. I'm a transgender Christian. And I not want to say, no, you're a child of God. You're a child of, he, he gets to say who you are. He gets to give your identity. He gets to declare who you are. You are bought by the highest price of the blood of Jesus. And the things that you did, the things that your desires no longer identify you, but Jesus does. Amen? Amen? And if I look at this list, that is this there in Corinthians, does do it. We don't get up and say, I'm an adulterous Christian. I'm a self-righteous Christian. I'm an idol-worshiping Christian. I'm an abusive Christian. I'm a lying Christian. I'm a greedy Christian. No, pastors get fired for lying and being greedy. Okay? They can't identify with that. And it's in that same list there. And that's the rub. That's the challenge Of do we believe that it is no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives in me? I have sinned. Yes. My kids have sinned. My kids have, my, my, my son has lied to me. When my son lied to me, and did we go, oh my gosh, he is naturally drawn to be a liar. So let's get a flag out, put it outside our house, and say a liar lives here. Let's throw a parade and say, my son is a liar. And let's celebrate that this is him being his unique self as a liar. No. We don't take pride in the fact that he lied. What I take pride in the fact that he owned his lie, said I was wrong, repented, and said I was sorry. That's what we took pride in. And this is the thing that rubs my heart wrong, is that when we take pride in our sin, we are it's a rebellion against God. But again, I want to come back and say, we are wrong when we think same-sex behavior is fundamentally different than any other sin. Our confu- and our confu- the church in our confusion of understanding this has wondered how to address this and we've made such a point of it that it almost came off as an unforgivable sin. Not true. Not true at all. No, the truth is that repentance for a straight person, for a gay person, for a white person, for a black person, for a rich person, for a poor person, for whatever you want to be in this part of the world, in, in Africa, in Asia, wherever is this, is that we have to see that we have been in rebellion say, God, I am sorry for a, va- a va- Elevating my desires over Your will, for for attempting to define my identity apart from Your design from me, and seeking satisfaction from self fulfillment rather than giving You glory. And God, I want to now recognize You, Lord Jesus, as the Forgiver of my sin and the Lord of my life. So I turn over control to You. No matter what, our, that's what that's what it looks like for all of us. That's what it looks like for all of us. We all come to Jesus the same way. And the thing about Jesus, he comes to all sinners the same way. He comes to each and every one of us. And so that's where the church and how we should act is that we should love, interact, invite, love, and care those that are LGBTQ. The same as Jesus did, saying, we love you. God loves you. We're here for you. We want to give grace to you. We want to come in the spirit of grace. And that means on issues that someone disagrees with you on, you, and and it comes out, we don't push them away, we draw them close. We don't push people away that have different, here's a statement, we have to love our gay neighbor more than we love our position on sexual morality. We have to love them. And that's where it hits a lot of us as a church, is We want to guard. We want to hide. We want to protect. I'm not saying you change your convictions. I'm saying that your relationship with them must not be contingent upon them agreeing with you. It must not be contingent upon them agreeing with you. Because like Jesus himself did not bend on God's righteousness and law. But whenever they were in conflict, rather than crushing the person, what did Jesus do? He himself was crushed on their behalf. And that's what we want people to know, is that Jesus was crushed on their behalf. We say we love you more than I love being right on this. Even if you don't ever see things my way, I'm going to keep on bringing you close. I'm going to keep on being committed to you and loving and caring for you. And that's where the church has failed pretty big in living out the ministry of Jesus in these ways. I believe that the church ought to be the safest place for a teenager to come out and say they have same-sex attraction. Are we okay with that? Of them being, this is where I'm at? Sinners were always safe around Jesus revealing their stuff. But somehow on the way, church has not been okay with that. Jesus didn't say, oh, your sin's not a big deal. He said, okay, come. Come to me. Come on. So what... I'm trying to close this. What do I do if this is me? What do you... Do if this is someone you know. What do you do if this is someone listening? Our culture says if you find a desire, affirm it. The only way to be truly authentic is to be true to what's inside of you. That's what our culture says. But we see from what the Bible says, what's truly inside of us isn't always, always good stuff. Right? And our message to those that are in this area is not to stop sexual sin. That is not our message. But our message is, Behold the grace of God. See how good and great his love is. That he does not define you by your sexual desires. He does not define you by your mistakes, by your sins. And he wants you to come. God wants you before anything else to come and know his son as your savior. He wants to make you his child. When we just like, forget about all these, these sexual conversations, these sexual topics that we've talked about in these years. Well, I just want to talk about what it looks like to approach God. Approach God. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 66, 2 says this, This is the one whom I will look. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humble means whenever we disagree, God, I'm wrong and you're right. That's what humility God, I'm wrong. Contrite means I recognize my heart is bad and it has led me astray. Trembles at your word means says God, whatever you say, I am ready to obey. On all issues, of our opinions, of our views, of, of how we live things out. So in our, in, our, in, our, in any area of our life, are we opposing God? Are we, are we being humble? Are we being contrite? Are we trembling at His word? All of us. Others say, what if, what if I was born this way and I can't change it? Being humble and repentant to God does not mean in a moment your desires will always change contrary to your will and just become as what well. can happen. Some it does happen automatically. Amer- some it's, some it's a, it's across cross to bear and a thing that, to walk with. But I would say that, yeah, and you say is change even possible? But back to our key verse, 1st Corinthians verse 11, chapter 6 verse 11 says this, This, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Go to the next slide. Washed, our guilt is removed sanctified. We're set apart for God and His purposes. Justified. The penalty of our sin has been cancelled because the debt has been paid in full. That's what Jesus has done for us. God does not accept you based on having right desires or wrong desires and all that. He accepts you based on the work of Jesus Christ done on your behalf. God's not, not going to ever stop loving you in your darkest moment, in your darkest desire, the team can make their way up here. I just want to share a few more verses as we, as we close and we're going to sing one more song together. Jesus says, on the cross, I took everything. Took everything so you could become acceptable before Him. I know there's so much more that we could talk about and there's so much more topics. We have a, a, on our current, on our website and under current series, I've listed uh, a whole list of resources for, to be available for you. There's videos, there's, there's some statements, there's some other things to help you in, in, multiple different ways of conversations and we're gonna even put a book up there as a reference and listen, again, the center of Christianity is not your secular ethics. The center of it is Jesus Christ and Him crucified on your behalf. So Jesus says when we come to him humbly, humbly, and confess our sins, that grace rolls down like a flood over our lives. And it changes everything. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He will give you rest as you're walking through this. Lamentations three twenty two twenty three 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalms 103 says this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving devotion for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The thing about walking with Jesus and inviting Him into your life and into your heart is that He just wants to meet you where you are. He wants you to meet you where you are, come to trust, come to know Him, and all these other things. He's like, just walk with me. And as you walk with Him and as you invite Him in, this amazing thing happens. His desires become your desires. And it's like, it's like hard to explain. But as you walk with Jesus, as you read His Word, as you talk with Him, His desires simply become your desires. If you allow Him to speak, and and He'll walk with you, and He'll talk with you through all of those things. So if you guys will stand with me, we're going to sing an old song called, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Because the heart of today is, as we talk about these complex issues, and thank you guys for... Staying through this, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's this one that that feels ah, we don't know where to, to to hold this and and how to how to hold this with our love for people and our trust in the Word of God and in our current culture. But I believe that God wants to just do a work in our lives today of just like speaking. So, Lord Jesus, Lord, as we look to your faithfulness again today, Lord. Lord, I just want to pray over hearts, Lord Jesus, Lord, that that as they heard this message go forth, Lord, with much prayer and fear and just carefulness, Lord, that they heard your heart, Lord, that you are faithful, that you are true, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do, Lord Jesus, that you are not willing to come and forgive and draw us near. So, Lord, we just want to remember your faithfulness and that you'll meet each one of us where we are. We thank you for it. Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. We'd love to hear how God is using River City Church to minister and impact lives. If you have a story to share of how God is moving in your life, send an email to amen at therivercitychurch.org. If you'd like to support our mission financially, so we can continue to share messages just like these, you can give online at therivercitychurch.org/give.